Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury, with your hosts, Aaron Martin and Mariah Morgan. Welcome back to the Making Headway Podcast. Once again, you are stuck with just Aaron. Um, Mariah's taken a rest. Uh, today, we are very fortunate to have guests from Expanded Practice. Um, that's a company that Danielle Stoller and Maribeth Quinn started based on need, really. Um, Maribeth is the mom of a stroke survivor. Um, her daughter had a stroke at 18, and she really had to be fierce mama bear to try to get the right therapy. Danielle um, Stoller is a neurophysical therapist, and they were fortunate enough to find each other and start a company that helps train um, therapists how to deal with brain injury and how to interact with those of us that have been inflicted, because it's it's definitely a skill. Um, so welcome mm. to the both of you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. So glad think, to be here. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm very fortunate that we found you guys. I don't even know how these things happen. I feel like they're probably all on Instagram, but to me it feels almost uh, divine's a very strong word, but our paths... I just think our paths cross for a re- cross for a reason. You can hear my yeah, stroke. I, I very much feel <laughs> like that too. Yeah. yeah. So Maribeth, how about you start? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's it's so great that you brought out the I'm the fierce mama bear mm. sort of figure in uh, my story because that actually is what my daughter used to call me. Ah! I didn't even um, know that. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Not fierce mama bear, but she did call me mama bear. There you go. But um, yeah, this really, Danielle and my story really starts with uh, my daughter having a stroke when she was 18. She had just um, not been at college very long at all. Perfectly healthy, no warning signs, nothing. And uh, we got a call late, late one night and she... Um, they said she had fallen on a treadmill, which we thought that was nothing. So we just started heading to Chicago thinking it was nothing, mm-hmm. but got informed along the way that, um, you know, my son who lived in Chicago at the time went to the hospital and he called and said, well, she's here. You know, I, I see her, but mom, she's not saying anything. Oh, and it, that was the first moment that I thought, whoa, this this is not what I thought. Something else is going on. So she and was working hours when she had it happen? Uh, yeah, yeah, she was. She was on a treadmill. You know, come to find out, months later, they, they really did locate that she had had what's called a spontaneous tear in her carotid artery. Mm. A lot of young people that have a stroke, this mm-hmm. is the case. They don't know, you know, when they rule out a tissue disorder or a blood clotting disorder or whatever, mm-hmm. um, then you just fall into this category of we don't know why why it happened. Me sort of too. Being struck by I'm lightning. That too. You know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Did really? you see? It's been big in the news this week. Um, I do on Google. You can set alerts, and I set alerts for stroke so that I kind of stay up on what's in the news. And mm-hmm. all over um, for the past couple of weeks, they've been bringing up the fact that you have a huge increased risk of having a stroke as a young person if you've done high intensity exercise and or are emotionally um, under duress. So for me, it was during COVID as a nurse, I was working out. Worst time ever to be a nurse in May of 2020. um, And I had a stroke. (laughs) 
So like that for oh me, is just God. so mind shattering. And it sounds like your daughter had a similar type of event. Absolutely. Could be. I, we, we still don't know if it was duress or anything like that, because when she had her stroke, it complete the epicenter was her um, language center. Mm. So for years, she couldn't put two, two words together. So it was like all wow. of a sudden, we never heard her thoughts again for a really long time. And um, <clears throat> I had this amazing experience that really got all of this going. And, and that was when we were on our way and the, and the doctors called and said for sure that she had had a massive stroke. I didn't even know what to think about that. I didn't know anything about stroke. I didn't know young people could have a stroke. I didn't know what life looked like after stroke. Nothing. I knew nothing. And um, so, you know, it was the middle of the night and I had this experience. I don't even know what it was. Maybe it was my mother biology, maybe it was something else. I don't know, but it was sort of like a daydream in which I, I was in my house and I heard her say to me, mama bear, which is, that's why I smiled when you said that, because literally in my little daydream, that's what she called me. And I looked over at her and I was overcome with this feeling of well-being and sort of this knowing that this was not a tragedy, but more like a, remember, we said we'd do this together. So mm. here it is. And, you know, I didn't think much about it at the moment, but when we got to the hospital and I saw her and she was hooked up to everything, um, I, I should have been grief stricken and fallen apart, but this feeling that that thing had had, that thing that mm -hmm. happened to me was all I felt. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her and thought, we are in the middle of it, but she's going to come through this and um, we're going to do it together. Mm -hmm. And that feeling ruled my thoughts. So it's funny you mentioned that, Maribeth. Um, I've talked to so many survivors. In fact, I just talked to one yesterday who had the same similar experience as the caregiver watching this all happen. Um, she actually had, I don't know if it was an angel or who it was, but some random person just popped into the room, told her everything was going to be okay, sat there, stroked her arm, and then was gone. Wow. So, like, stuff that, like this happens. It's weird, but it happens. That, that I don't know why. I, I, well, you know, wherever it comes from, um, I, I know that, I, and I knew at the time that it was about making me what I needed to be for her. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the falling apart, grief-stricken thing was not it, even though there might be somebody that from another side says, well, emotionally, that, that was your feelings. That's what you should feel. But yet when you're in that kind of situation, I mm -hmm. felt very clearly, it was like, you've got the abyss of, of just being lost, or you've got hope. And both my husband and I, and really all of us, we just, we went all in and it really made us, this is, this is where it all started. It made us, um, sort of sheltered and, and 
um, able to believe what we needed to believe and not listen to so many of the people that were telling us really bleak and discouraging things. Mm. Um, because when you believe those things, that changes mm-hmm. what you do next. Oh, and it's so next, true. And then next. Yeah. And, I was and an that's oncology what it's all nurse. about. It is. I was an oncology nurse for a long time. And it's amazing how much mindset plays into your response to treatment. People that go into it being like, this is going to kill me. I'm going to feel awful every day. That's exactly how they feel. But then you get those people that are so positive and I'm going to beat this and I'm going to do it. And they do it. It, you know, for how long is up to say, but they, they do it. Mindset means everything. It really does. And so when I met Danielle and she became Sophie's uh, neuro PT, um, we just started talking, of course, first about Sophie and her brain and her healing. But then in general, it just became this incredible, deep curiosity about how we all heal, how we all process, how we go through life and how the mindset and our, our hope and all of these things affect what's happening next. And so um, I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about that. But um we both just started thinking, is this something you can teach? Because therapists, by virtue of what they do, are just set up perfectly to give this to their patients. If you or someone you know is struggling to recover after brain injury like a stroke, take a free online assessment at modusnova.com forward slash making headway to see if their robots can help boost your recovery. If you are struggling with stroke recovery, Take the free online assessment at modusnova.com forward slash making headway to learn if Modus can help you recover. So that's and when why you we say started doing therapists. Are you speaking mental health therapy, physical? What type of therapist? Well, it certainly could be mental health, uh, but because of the, the nature of me and Danielle's relationship, we we started just with neurotherapists. Anybody who's like a physical therapist, speech therapist, occupational therapist that are dealing directly with people trying to rewire and change their brains and heal from some sort of, you know, mm. uh, brain injury. So um, that was where we started. Now, um, like Danielle you said, Danielle? You're, you're always dealing with the, the human being. So yeah. it's all the yeah, same. So how did you guys meet? Well... We met because um, Sophie came to me for treatment. I'm a neurophysical therapist, and and they came um, to to get Sophie some physical therapy. And what was obvious to me at the time was how the family's mindset and their positive expectations, how that was really um, affecting Sophie's recovery in a positive way. And I was at a place in my career where I was – um, I was frustrated with my results. I was feeling a little ineffective and burned out. And this was like a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. when they walked in. I thought, you know, maybe if I paid a little more attention to the mindset aspects and how we can make strong connections and use these uh, human interaction skills to our benefit, maybe if I focus more on that, results would change. And so... 
Um, in fact, they did. I went into the research. I read everything I could about this. And I found out there was so much there that mm-hmm. how mindset would affect performance, how we learn, um, mm-hmm. that I, I realized more people should know about this because we have all of these tools at our disposal that sometimes we just don't use. Well, and that's really interesting you say that because this is exactly my world. Um, I'm a quality nerd at the hospital that I work at. Um, I oversee all the outcomes um, for medical surgical, which is most of our beds. Um, And it's just surprising to me how the introduction of technology was supposed to be this wonderful thing, right? It was supposed to streamline all our medical records and make it so easy to find out what's going on with the patient. But actually, the way it was implemented made it so now nursing, because I'm a nurse, and partly therapy too, spends more time on the computer than they do with the patient. And they forget that the whole basis of care is a relationship. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Now you're speaking our language. Yeah. It's mind boggling how that gets left behind. Like nurses are taught to do a task, check the box, move on. And we're always talking about, oh, yeah, mindset. But mindset's for the patient. The nurses aren't thinking about their how their mindset really impacts the care. And then yeah. I can kind of see from your eyes right now, you guys are thinking the same thing with therapy. <laughs> yes, because it all starts with you. The mm-hmm. way you speak, the way you treat someone, the way you connect starts with what you are thinking and believing. So that's where the change has to begin and the intention has to start. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, that's vital in healthcare. Yeah, if you're not taking good care of yourself. Yeah, exactly. If you're not taking good care of yourself, you cannot take care of others. I firmly believe that. Absolutely, you can't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that the medical community has always steered away from things like, let's say, hope. Because um, it's unmeasurable and exactly. it just feels uncomfortable. Like they, you maybe in your medical job see a lot of things that don't inspire hope, and so mm-hmm. they think, well, how can I, how can I try to support someone's hope when actually my belief is that people don't really come back from strokes this size. But um, I, I actually have a, such a great story about that. Um, that really solidified the direction that my mind began going when, when Sophie was, it was just days, it was hours probably after she had her stroke within the first day, um, her, the first neurologist came in to see us, you know, she was out in the bed between us and he came in with like six or seven students cause it was a teaching hospital. And, um, they asked us tons of questions, and then when they were done, he said, your daughter has had a massive stroke. Over 80% of her left hemisphere is, is damaged. Oh. oh, my goodness. And then he stopped, and he sort of looked at her, and you could tell it pained him. But then he looked back at us and said, she might walk again, maybe, with a cane. Mm-hmm. And then he left the room. And we were stunned. Like this was the first time that anybody had talked with us at length about what had happened to our perfectly healthy 
since when we last saw her daughter. And we, we were speechless. And the nurse that was working in her little room right there, as the last doctor walked out, she shut the door and she sort of closed the blinds and she came over and she said, do not listen to a word of that. Your uh-huh. daughter is young. I've seen miracles. Mm. And that was probably the most influential thing that a medical professional did f- for us mm. in, in that, those early hours. And she was tending to our hope. Now, I could tell by the way that she was moving, by the way she shut the door and closed the blinds, that in her mind, this was probably not appropriate professionally. Yep. But her humanity yep. could not take it. She, yep. she saw our faces and she just had to say that. But what I want to do, what Danielle wants to do, I want people to see that without hope, you've got nothing. Mm-hmm. Hopeless people do not recover from things. Mm-hmm. And they certainly don't recover from a long, when it's a long journey of recovery. Absolutely. So, that that really, and you know, this is something we say a lot, that hope is actually a medical necessity. If you do not um, inspire and, and support that natural hope that arises when things first happen, and instead you're just giving them statistics and trying to help them accept what's happened to them and, and by using, you know, statements like what he said, she may walk again. Like the worst thing that could ever happen is that we'll be disappointed. That is not mm-hmm. the worst thing that could happen. The worst mm-hmm. thing that could happen is that we never really believe that she can walk again and we don't right. try as long as right. it took. Now right. she walks so beautifully that people don't like when they see her, they notice instead the splint she has on her hand or they might notice her language, but they don't notice her walking. Wow. And so... You, we, we know so little about the brain. And so that is one of the main things we want to tell people like in your audience is, mm-hmm. you know, you're wonderful medical professional. They're incredibly skilled and they have an amazing education, but things are moving so fast and there's so much new information coming in that you want to look for the one that realizes we know this much. And so I'm going to tell you I can tell you what I've seen, but your brain is different than every other patient I've ever had. Let's see what we can do. And you That's guys what have you encountered want. providers that will say that? Is that even possible? I have not encountered anyone that will admit they don't know, except for some of my therapists. Right. right. I think <laughs> therapists that- are more likely. And Danielle, go mm-hmm. ahead. I know that what you're going to say about that. No, that's where we're starting. We're starting with the therapist. Um, and, and really... If, if you're working with a therapist, a, a good therapist um, that is making a connection with you and nurturing that hope uh, is critical because, you know, hope isn't a feeling. Hope is a belief. Mm-hmm. Hope is the belief that something can change and that your actions are going to make a difference. And um, I don't know of any therapist that doesn't want you to think that your actions can make a difference. That's what we're all about. We want you to do things that will help you progress. And, um, but when you've had a brain injury and you might be confused or overwhelmed or suffering, it can be difficult to generate that yourself. So, um, 
as a therapist, what I want to do is just to be that outside voice that's authentic, that's steady and strong. And it says, I don't know how far you can get, but I know that your actions are going to make a difference. Your brain needs new input. It mm -hmm. needs good feedback. And I will help you do that. And um, I had yeah. a, a patient working with me that that told me how important that was. And it really hit home. He said, I come to you because you have hope that I can recover and I don't have any. Mm. And, and it's things like that that make me realize how necessary this work is. Right. Well, it, I just saw an interesting thing on Instagram, which I sound like I'm the social media mogul, but I'm really not. I only went on Instagram <laughs> to learn about my stroke and to find other people that were young like me that had a stroke. Um, and I just found this really cool video that talked about how stroke and brain injury recovery is really the only thing that relies, like basically you're relying on a broken brain to give you feedback, but your mm. brain's broken, so you can't get feedback. So it's mm. really, really tough for us to be able to advocate for ourselves because we're dealing with a broken system. Like I wouldn't go out right. and start playing tennis with my broken arm. You wait for it to heal first. But with brain injury, you right. just don't have that ability. Right. Well, you know, we really, uh, we try to teach the therapists we work with that when they when they're helping their patients to to think of it more like you're repairing a relationship mm -hmm. because you know when when you have a brain injury it feels very much like suddenly the inside of you is different mm -hmm. and and you're experience this you're experiencing this thing you don't trust your body in many ways or your mind is not doing what it used to, you know, this trust has been breached. And if you think of that person relating to their own body and brain, like a relationship that has been fractured and try to repair that relationship mm -hmm. and what would that look like? You would be then be dealing with not just physical traits, but you would be dealing with things like trust and understanding and love and being patient and mm -hmm. even unconditional love like that that's where that's where things can move energy can move when you can actually find a place where you won't hold your brain to what it is today because tomorrow it might be better and able to do more mm -hmm. so or that's what i've really seen uh, yeah. honestly i don't want to be debbie downer but we have to accept no. that some days you're way up it's there true. like today i feel great Yesterday, I felt horrible. Tomorrow, mm. I don't know what it's going to be. But you have to deal with where you're at in the moment. Yes. And not let it get and, you down too much. <laughs> all the more reason that, that if there's a good relationship forming there, um, you can weather those days. Because mm -hmm. it is a two-step forward, one-step back process. It's, it's a roller coaster. It's, you know, like my daughter for years I said you know didn't talk and then she could get out words here and there sometimes they were what she meant sometimes they weren't and then she could put a few together well now could we're right we're coming up communicate through writing nothing there was everything to do with language was gone now she could tell uh -huh. time but she couldn't tell you what time it was uh-huh 
Wow. So if there was any language involved, it was gone. And so her brain, as frustrating as it's been for her, completely had to set up shop in other parts. I mean, when you really think about the miraculous nature of that. Mm -hmm. And so two years ago, she discovered that she was actually at the place where she could finally read a book that interested her, right? Mm -hmm. And once she discovered that, it was like, oh my God, I can read. And she started reading and reading and reading. And in the last year, she's read like 70 or 80, or read or listened to 70 or 80 books. Wow. Um, That's way more than I've done in the last five years. You know, it's... (laughs) Me too. But... But if you would have asked me two years ago, if I would have thought her brain was ready to do that or could do that, I, I don't think I would have predicted that. So it's always healing and rewiring, but sometimes we get visible evidence of that, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. And so that relationship where you, you can stay hopeful and still believe in it is, is a vital part of the recovery process, I think. And therapists Absolutely. can do a lot for that. Yeah. Like uh, how Danielle was talking about, she was the sort of the proxy for hope for that one patient. I've seen her do that with Sophie um, as far as having compassion for herself um, many times where mm. where when Sophie couldn't do it for herself, she she could have her therapist do it and, and model that because that's hard I, when yeah. your brain's and doing And I that love that you. concept of having to borrow skills from somebody else because our brains mm-hmm. might not be able to do it. So that's why it is so important that that therapist be in a good mental headspace um, and be doing right. self-care so that they can continue to give. Because the other thing right. is, I mean, being a caregiver, you're constantly giving of yourself. And if you're not refilling that bucket, you burn out. And I think there's oh gosh, that's yeah. one of the huge things we see in COVID right now. Like everyone's just burnt out. But you have to figure out how to re- refuel and recharge. Are you finding it hard to recover at home after a stroke? Modus Nova makes robotic devices to help folks with a brain injury regain the use of their affected limbs. Recovery after stroke takes thousands of hours of work that isn't all covered in outpatient therapy. Whether you're 10 days or 10 years post-stroke, recovery is still possible. You just need many hours of rehab to make that happen. The Modus hand or foot are AI-powered robotic exoskeletons that help users do exercises through the playing of video games, similar to the way an occupational or physical therapist might work with your limb. Recovery after stroke is hard because stroke survivors don't get enough hours of rehab to regain function. Find out if Modus Nova can help you by taking their free online assessment at modusnova.com slash making headway. Modus Nova helps survivors with little or no movement get moving again. They help you get in the repetitions you need to form new neural pathways. Through playing video games, the robotic hand and foot can assist with limb movements to provide a personalized exercise experience. If this sounds like something you want to try, visit modusnova.com slash making headway to learn more. Make sure to use special code making headway when you sign up and get a month free with the 30 day challenge. 
visit modusnova.com slash making headway to get started. That's M-O-T-U-S-N-O-V-A dot com slash making headway. So I think, you know, there's there's a couple different directions I want this conversation to go. Um, I'd love to be able to speak to our audience and how they can find compassionate caregivers that will give them what they need. And I also know mm-hmm. we have a bunch of therapists that listen. Um, so we'll also need to address how they can reach out to you guys. Um, so you guys choose. Where, which direction should we go right now? Well, let's maybe talk about um, what to look for in a good mm-hmm. neuro clinic and a, yeah. a therapist. Great. So um, as far as looking for a clinic, if you need some rehab, I would strongly recommend that you look for a clinic that is specifically set up and specializes in neuro care. And mm-hmm. this might not be the the physical therapy clinic that's right down the road from you. You might have to drive to it, but it's it's very beneficial if you if you go to those typically um, for many reasons. First of all, they're going to have equipment that's more set up for neuro, and that's as simple as the mats will go up and down, so you don't have to climb up on something high or get down from something low if maybe you have mobility issues. They often have private rooms, so if noise is an issue for you or distraction, that's good rather than just a curtain separating you from another person. Um, you can also get services in one place. So a neuro clinic knows that sometimes you need multiple things. You might need PT, OT, and speech. And so it will all be there for you. Maybe there's a vision specialist there. Maybe there's a massage therapist there or a yoga instructor. But they know the needs of, of someone with a brain injury. And, and mostly that the other people going there using those services are going to be people in similar situations. So you will feel more like you fit in. And as we will talk, um, as we go through this, the way you feel really is going to matter to your recovery. So it's a good way to set yourself up for something successful. That's a really interesting concept. Um, my first time around, I was sent home from the hospital with no therapy, nothing. Um, I could walk, I could talk, I could bathe myself and um, eat. So they didn't think I needed anything. Um, So I, you know, I'm a nurse and I've been a case manager and I knew I needed something. I was brain injured. I didn't know what I needed. I ended up with speech through a neuro clinic, but it was during Mm -hmm. COVID. So I never got to go to the clinic. It was always just like this, a video call. And I never got that connection with community at all. Um, So that's why we started making Headway Podcast because we needed um, people. So my second time around, um, my brain has healed to the point where it's trying to get back up online. It knows that I'm alive now and it doesn't need to worry about my autonomic nervous system as much. Granted, my autonomic nervous system does not work well. Um, And it's showing all these other things like left-sided hemiparesis issues, um, sensory, a lot of sensory issues. Um, I have complex migraines now that mimic a stroke. So because I have all those things, I've had to go back out of work and I'm now in a neuro clinic um, where I go every week. I go twice a week, once for speech, once for um, occupational, which I'd never had before. And 
um, occupational. I, I don't know how you would ever discharge someone home from the hospital without occupational therapy. Um, even like physical, I'm feeling like maybe I could benefit from, but I'm very high functioning. I can walk um, and do all that sort of stuff. So I say all this just because it really rose in me that having that neuro clinic, like you said, someone that truly specializes in it, not just by mouth, but you can see that they specialize in it based on the patients that are there just means so much because some people market in ways that aren't completely true. <laughs> um, and you can easily yes, get I... sucked into bad neuro clinics. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And that leads us right into, you know, um, what you should look for in a therapist. And, you know, the, the first thing I'm going to say is that your therapy requires skill. And there, there are really two things that you can look for as far as skill goes. Um, one is, does your therapist have any sort of specialty training beyond what they learned in school? Because neurotherapy is a really broad heading. And the treatment for stroke is very different than the treatment for vestibular issues um, or Parkinson's disease or spinal cord injury, things like that. So I have had extensive training in stroke rehab I would be a very good choice for you if you have a stroke, but if you have, um, say, a concussion which presents in a different way, there will be somebody better or a vestibular issue. And so I, I will refer people to therapists that are much more specialized in that. Um, and that is key because there are yes. so many providers out there who don't feel comfortable saying, I don't know, but mm -hmm. I'll get you help. Yes. See, I, I love that. That's and that's one of our our big things. Is, gosh, there is nothing wrong with saying I don't know. You're halfway there by saying I don't know. It helps you learn, and you get to help your patient mm -hmm. find real answers. Mm -hmm. So that's that's incredible well, to have providers that will do that. Yeah, and it's going to lessen so much frustration on the therapist side too. Because you're constantly mm -hmm. trying to do something you're not equipped to do. And that's okay. It doesn't right. mean you're a bad therapist. It just doesn't mean you're skilled at this. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And the second kind of skill that you will benefit from with your therapist is if they are very skilled in the art and science of human interaction. And they understand that the body and the mind are connected. It is one system you have to understand that our emotions are going to affect our bodies. It's going to affect how we move and how we learn. And so that's where we work with therapists. How do we navigate the mental and emotional aspects of rehab that are at play in every session and, and really use the research and the way we communicate to our patients' advantage and set them up for success because the way I phrase things to my patients will affect their response. For instance, if I'm working on a balance task and I put the um, <clears throat> piece of foam down that they're going to step on and I say, okay, now this can be a little tricky. It's kind of hard. That's going to be different in their brain than if I say, you're ready for this. Let's go. You're going to get two different responses. And, and those are the simple things that a therapist can do that really prime your expectations and set you up for success. Mm. That, that, that's, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree. And I'm 
I'm just so grateful that you guys found each other and that Sophie was able <laughs> to get what she needed. So, yeah. Well, well you really go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, it it really is just um, a matter of as a clinician. I want to create the most significant connection with that patient that I can so I can instill trust so that they will they will push themselves outside their comfort zone and do what they might need to do. I can um, collaborate with them so that they they understand that that I will listen to what they're telling me. I mean, you are the expert of your body. You are inside there. I'm not. Tell me how that made you feel and then let's make a plan from there. Um, Another huge skill right there, having someone that's willing to trust what the patient says, but then on the patient side, like for me, I wasn't able to tell you what was going on. I Mm. am just starting to get insight into that. Um, And I feel like that's a skill that you learn. And I'm not, I'm, I'm really not sure. I think it was more my mental health therapy that helped me actually be able to identify what am I feeling? Like so many people can't identify what they're feeling. Um, I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm, you know, all these negative emotions that you're not supposed to feel. They're there and you have to acknowledge them. Right. They're there and they're, and they're coming out through your body. So if someone is working with you and only looking at what your body's doing, but not looking at how you feel, Mm -hmm. um, there's a difference in that, that those are two very different kinds of therapy. You know, mm-hmm. what, what I've learned from watching uh, Danielle work with people, when you, when you don't have mobility and you're trying to learn something like how to stand, how to stand up from a seated position, that is terrifying or can be terrifying. You don't trust your body. You don't know how to do it. If you just have people who are just looking at it you know, as an equation, so they can check the box that yes, they've stood from seated to standing. That is very, very different from someone who understands that their goal is, or at least their goal is, not only that they'll stand, but when they stand, they don't feel terror. Mm. They, they do it in a way, and I've watched her do it so many times, she does it in a way that, that moves them incrementally to where they feel like they're ready for that next step. And by the time they stand, they've gained some comfort in their body. That should always be the goal, not just Mm. that they've done something that you can visually witness and check off a box. It should be how they feel when they're doing it because that's true recovery. You want to recover your place, your home in your body. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to bring back into the mindset of therapists is there's this whole area here that you have access to. And the interesting thing is, it doesn't surprise me now that I've heard them say it, but when, they, when we first heard it, it was really surprising. Some of the therapists that we work with say that once they started thinking in this way and really connecting with their patients, emotionally and thinking about what where they were emotionally and mentally that they had more job satisfaction mm-hmm. and that their their job was more fulfilling to them they were less stressed in their job they felt like they were doing more even though it might not look on their little list of boxes they have to check mm-hmm. like 
that like they were performing the way that maybe they they would have driven themselves to. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah, and I think you get you into went, this line of work. Yeah, you don't get into it to nurse a computer yes, or to give exactly. therapy to a computer. I think if you went to any freshman class of nursing, physical therapy, occupational, and you ask them why are you going into this field. They're not going to say, oh, so that I can go and give pills and scan someone's bracelet and stand at a computer all day. No one's going to say that, but that's what care is now. Yes. 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 There's so much about care that has nothing to do with your actual one-on-one time with your patient Mm -hmm. that you're responsible for. And that, Mm -hmm. that can be exhausting. And so, um, what we try to teach is how you can truly be a healing presence for your patient because you know one person's presence will affect the mind and body of the person they're with it Ooh. it's science it happens and our emotions are contagious so when i understand that my stress will be transferred to you that makes it all that more important that i calm myself before i enter the room mm-hmm. that i i make sure i know whether I'm breathing quickly, whether I'm distracted or focused, because that is going to have a direct effect not only on yes. how you heal, but how you feel and and what we get done in that hour. So yes. when you can truly do that and you look directly into the eyes of your patient and you feel that connection, mm-hmm. your job just gets better. So this brings up a quick little bunny trail, and I promise it will make sense. Um, I work with a lot of delirium patients, um, Mm. and a lot of them have dementia as well. So when you're in delirium, um, your brain is responding to whatever's going on medically in a um, not-so-great way. Um, It's those patients that, like, you can remember when you were a little kid, if you had a really high fever and you had all those weird dreams and the mom's looking at you like, what is going on with this kid? That's delirium, and adults get that all the time. And they commonly, and same with dementia patients, they lose their ability to communicate um, in words like this. Mm -hmm. So my thing that I've been training my nurses to do is you really have to control your energy and you have to give them a caring energy so that they know they're safe because they're likely hallucinating and seeing, you know, I had one patient who saw his family out in the hall getting shot. Like how horrible is that hallucination? So, of course, they're not going to feel safe. You have to let them know they're safe. And you can't just go into the room and be like, you're safe. That's not true. Because to them, it is. Um, So you have to control your energy. And I know you can't really measure that. There's Science is probably a little shady behind it because it's one of those soft skills. But it makes all the difference. Well, you know, if there's anything that I've learned from living with someone who has aphasia, like can't use language, is we communicate primarily without language. Mm-hmm. And when you when language is not an option, then you realize that. Mm-hmm. You see all the ways that um, you're communicating how you feel, what you mean. Um, you communicate if there's, like, like the number of times that I've actually used language to try to cover up what I actually feel. Yes. And my daughter knows it immediately. 
Like, because yes. that's the world she lives in. Like, <laughs> Mom, she is you're an a liar. energy reader. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you are not okay. I've uh-huh. asked you if you're okay, and you're not okay. Uh-huh. So, um, that's kind of you know, unnerving. We, you can't ever hide. I know. <laughs> well, it can be, but you know, I think when you can make that jump and let go of language and realize that when you are working with someone as a therapist, there, there's all sorts of things you're communicating to them that maybe you don't even know about. Mm-hmm. But if you go into that space and actually get deliberate, how fulfilling is that when you can walk into a room and affect them without saying a word? Yes. In, in a positive way. Yes. yes. Yeah. That's, yep. I'm feeling that's you guys. You're my new favorite <laughs> people. <laughs> um, so I'm guessing there are a lot of caregivers listening to this. Um, caregivers, not in the family sense, but in the healthcare sense. Um, mm-hmm. How would they get your type of services? What do you provide to them? How does this business work? Well, we have, um, we have a class, uh, you know, they can get digitally that's called how to communicate with the healing brain, like an expert. It's a little over two hour class. That's, that's easy to get um, on our website. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and we also have mentorships that we offer, um, they're somewhat small groups, but it's it's a great way to process a lot of the same material that's in that class. But um, we do it face to face, and also talk about um, the the therapists that we work with. We talk about their real life patients and mm. and um, issues that they have, mm-hmm. and then they get feedback and and get to see what the concepts look like actually in their practice. Danielle, what do you have to add to that? Because I Yes, it's sure. all it's all virtual so you can join from anywhere and um, each each meeting we meet monthly and each meeting will have some education and then it will have some time for you to talk about your particular patients and case studies and we we share patient videos and examples so that you really get a feel for how this can look in your practice so it's not just this intangible stuff that that will really what does that mean to me we we mm-hmm. get in there and and really tease that out about how you can bring this into your immediate session like you can come to a meeting at night and put it into practice in the next morning so um, we've had a, a great response with that, and it's it's one of my favorite things that we do because we get to have relationships with those therapists and see them changing and hear about how this is affecting other people and and reaching those patients. And that's our ultimate goal is to make the rehab experience for patients and therapists as good as it can get so that we can all reach our highest possible outcomes. Wow. So you have the two-hour class, but then how long does this uh, monthly workshop go on? So it is a 12-month program, but you can take okay. it in four-month segments. You don't have to take all 12 if you don't want to. Um, so okay. they re- you, you can sign up every four months. Um, nice. I will say to make a change, as anyone who's working with their brain knows, the more consistent you are, the better. So um, it, I, I think it's a great thing if if you could start and then just go through the whole year and really get that transformation yourself, change your own mindset and be able to sustain it 
and keep coming back to support and new information every month. Um, and then what we have is a therapist community meeting that happens monthly as well. So this is just a problem-solving, idea-sharing group. Um, it's called Where Are You Stuck? And it meets monthly. And there are therapists of all disciplines that that come there. And nice. We work Does together. It and, and it's not quite as individualized. Does all this provide there are Yeah. The digital class does. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, the other the stuff how wouldn't. Are, yeah, yeah, how to communicate class. But the, the monthly meeting she was talking about, um, the where are you stuck, that's just a free, you know, nice. there's no CEUs with that. Who knows yeah. what we're going to talk about while we're there sort of thing. <laughs> right, right. Now we're always looking for CEUs, all us healthcare givers. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's nice to know that you guys are accredited there. Um, so, you know, we are kind of boiling down here um, and, you know, starting to end, wrap up the show a little bit. Um, how would people find you, both therapists looking to join your classes or um, us survivors looking to learn more about you? Yeah, well, if, if you're listening today and you're a therapist, you can find more resources on our website, which is www.expanded-practice.com. Um, and we have a free checklist that's uh, eight simple ways to become a better therapist today that you can get that right there on our homepage. And if you would like to contact either Maribeth or I directly, you can go to the contact part of our website and reach us. We also have Instagram and Facebook. Maribeth, am I forgetting anything? On Instagram and Facebook. Um, I believe, see, I can never remember these exactly, but I'm pretty sure it's just like, you know, Instagram.com slash expanded practice. Okay. So just knowing and the expanded same practice thing with part. Facebook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So people can just search for that on there. Um, yeah. Because I, I have a feeling you are tapping into a lot of people, a lot of our audience's concerns, because most of us have been dealing with a healthcare system that is not welcoming. Um, and doesn't know what to do with us. So we get kind of shoved aside and told, oh, well, you're crazy. You're a mental health case. It's like, no, mm -hmm. I'm brain injured. <laughs> There's a difference. So I appreciate well, and this I conversation. Just... Go oh, good. I'm so glad. Well, I, you know, we love nothing more than, than talking about how whatever it is that we think about what the brain is capable of, we know so little. Mm -hmm. And, and we're all into what happens when you just keep working at it and you keep believing that, that it can keep changing over time. I mean, my, the one thing that I wanted to get in is my daughter is coming up on her 10 year anniversary from her stroke wow. and we're seeing more visible progress now than we did. You know, so many times they'll tell you, you have six to 18 months mm -hmm. in which you'll see some changes in your brain. It's actually our experience has been opposite. That first mm -hmm. six to 18 months, whatever her brain was doing, it was mostly internal healing. Like you mm -hmm. didn't see a lot of visible improvement now. And she's coming up on 10 years and it's, it's just continues to go. You, you keep believing in it and giving it that great, consistent um, input. Um, you'll keep seeing changes. That's just, so I think we nice know so to little. hear. So many people yeah. give up because their healthcare providers have given up. Um, yes, but you you can you can get better. It's all that mindset. 
Yeah, your actions ah, matter. I don't want this changing. to end. This is such a good conversation. <laughs> no, I, I feel don't like need I it. have what is it? Anna Green Gables always had um kindred spirits. <laughs> That's what yes. I feel like you guys are. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's so been thank so much you fun. So much. Yeah. Um we'll make oh. sure to have um a listing of the different ways to find a good neurotherapist in our show notes. We'll also have okay. all the ways to contact you guys, your website. Your Instagram and Facebook handles will all be in there so people can easily find you. Um, and unless there's anything else anyone wanted to add, I think we'll wrap it up. No, just all thank right, you well, so much. Yes. It's been a pleasure. It's so good to thank be you. here. Thank you. So this is Erin signing out for Making Headway Podcasts. See you next time. Hey, everyone. In case you're wondering what Erin and I do for a living, it's not podcasting. I work in marketing, Erin's a nurse, and this is just a side project that we love. We really do enjoy doing this, and we've enjoyed being part of the community and building up a group of listeners. You guys probably don't even realize how much you help us out um, just by supporting us. If you were looking to do a little bit extra, uh, we would love to have your ratings on Apple or whichever podcasting service that you use. Or if you hear us talk about a product on the podcast, we do include those links to Amazon in our show notes on our website. Your purchase after you click on the link just gives us a tiny little kickback. Nothing much, but it helps us pay our bills. And if you are thinking, well, this isn't enough, we want to do a little bit more on our website at www.makingheadwaypodcast.com. We have a donation page. Any proceeds we receive, we give 10% to our favorite brain injury nonprofit of the moment. So if you are looking to do a little bit more, that would be a great way to support us. Again, we appreciate you guys oh so much. Thanks so much for your time and your ongoing support. We love our listeners and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com. This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean.